This is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. And this is episode 195. And I'm James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., but you can call me Mr. Umstadt. Is that Mr. Umstadt Jr. or just Mr. Umstadt? <laughs> this just Mr. Umstadt. Okay. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about how to work with brick-and-mortar bookstores. And this comes from uh, news, recent news. Uh, that Barnes & Noble was recently purchased by a hedge fund. So as Thomas and I were talking before the show started here, Barnes & Noble is not going away. Yeah, there was some discussion about whether or not Barnes & Noble is going to go out of business. Their financials were not good, and they have secured for themselves a new sugar daddy. So they now have, uh, assuming the sale goes through, and the sale has not been finalized uh, but assuming the sale goes through, Barnes Noble will be around for the foreseeable future. Uh, to give you an idea, um, the stock of Barnes Noble went up 60% on news of this sale. Uh, investors are very excited to be rescued by a wealthy hedge fund uh, because they still are influential. They're 25% of the book market, depending on how you count. And uh, using Barnes Noble, but not just Barnes Noble, but the other uh, bookstores is a key part of a, a publishing strategy, especially if you're uh, traditionally published. So this episode is for everyone, but it's especially for traditionally published authors, which I think is only fair since we've been talking a lot about advertising, which is mostly for indies. Now we're going to do an episode about brick and mortar bookstores, which is mostly for trads. And uh, we should talk a little bit about kind of the brick and mortar marketplace. Uh, there are fewer bookstores uh, than before. You know, Borders went out of business several years ago. Uh, Lifeway is uh, closing down their bookstores. Uh, but indie bookstores are doing better than ever. Uh, so, you know, we watched You've Got Mail. You know, 20 years ago, it was all about the big Barnes Noble putting the indie out of business. Well, the surviving indies are now putting the screws to Barnes and Noble. So the shop, or the shop around the corner is going to stay, right, Thomas? <laughs> if it survived this long, it probably my my money is that it will be around for another 20 years. Um, you know, barring anything unique to that bookstore, uh, people are uh, there's something that an indie bookstore offers that you don't get at a big Barnes and Noble. And book people here in Austin is a great example of this. They have a lot of personality, right? They're uh, the people who work there are fans of books. They're not just minimum wage workers, and they actually write reviews of the books on the shelf. So when you're browsing a books a book people you're seeing reviews by the people who work there, right? It, it's the kind of store where you can go to the person who's working in the sci-fi section. And yes, there's a person who works in the sci-fi section and ask her, what do you recommend? What are you reading? And she's read, you know, probably two or three sci-fi books so far this week, <laughs> or at least this month. And she can recommend something to you. And that is something that Barnes Noble won't offer. But even Barnes Noble is not going out of business. You know, people still prefer to buy paper books, especially for nonfiction, but even uh, for fiction, especially younger readers. This is an interesting uh, thing. A lot of people think, oh, it's the kids that are buying Kindles and buying lots of ebooks, but it's actually just the opposite. The younger the reader is, the more likely they are to prefer paper. And the older the reader is, the more likely they are to prefer an ebook. And the reason for this is large print. So for somebody <laughs> uh, who is, uh, you know, using reading glasses, they really like a Kindle because potentially they don't need reading glasses for the Kindle. Uh, that's not an issue that a 25 year old millennial uh, reader has. And so that 25-year-old millennial reader may be preferring to buy uh, a paper book, according to the statistics. 
And I should say, um, we're going to be talking about Barnes & Noble and independent bookstores here for this episode. We're not talking about Amazon's brick-and-mortar bookstores. It's a totally different strategy there. And we did a whole episode on Amazon's brick-and-mortar bookstores. I, I broke down exactly how they work. And I will, you know, spoiler, completely differently. So nothing that we say in this episode is going to apply to Amazon's brick-and-mortar bookstores. I do encourage you to listen to episode 141. We'll have a link in the show notes if you're curious about Amazon's strategy. But they could not be more different than book people. So if book people is going for a highly human approach with humans you can talk to and people there that have written reviews. The Amazon bookstore strategy is a highly automated approach. It's a bookstore run by big data, machine learning, and algorithms. And while there are humans that work there, they are not the ones making the decisions from what I can tell. So it's a very, very different strategy. Very effective strategy, but a very different strategy. So uh, before we talk about how to get in good with bookstores, we should probably talk about what bookstores want. So Jim, what do bookstores want? (laughs) They want foot traffic. They want people coming in and browsing. They want people that they can engage with and talk to and recommend books to. So that sounds pretty obvious, but it's, it's important to focus on that because that's something that you can help affect on a local level. They also want sales, obviously. Again, they want to sell books. And, and maybe most importantly, they want good community relations, especially indie bookstores. They want to be seen in the community as a great place to send people to buy books. For example, I live in a small town now. There's one bookstore, Riverwalk Books. It's an indie bookstore. And they want to be known in the community because where I live has a huge, huge influx of people coming in from outside because it's very much a tourist town. And so when they go into these, a coffee shop or a restaurant or they're shopping elsewhere, they want to have good relations so that people will say, oh, if you're looking for a book during your stay, your summer stay here, you got to go into Riverwalk Books and check them out. So ideally, you want to be the kind of author that brings these bookstores what they want. They want foot traffic. You're the kind of person who brings people walking into the store asking for your book. Uh, you, they want sales. You want to have the kind of book that flies off the shelf. And when it comes to good community relations, we'll give you some ideas on how uh, to do that. But I also want to kind of briefly explain how bookstores work and specifically how Barnes & Noble uh, works. But first, let's talk about bookstores in general. So bookstores, uh, how do they decide which books get listed? Well, in a sense, they're, they're, for the most part, selling the same books that sold last week or in last month. So in general, there's not a lot of turnover in the kind of the core books that a bookstore sells. But when it comes to the new books that they're acquiring, because there is turnover and they are featuring new books and they're taking books off the shelf to make room uh, for those new books, the big um, booksellers have catalogs and some of the big distributors have catalogs. So uh, Ingram has a catalog of people who distribute with Ingram and who've paid to be in that catalog. And then they have sales teams. Both Ingram has a sales team and like Simon & Schuster or Random House have sales teams. And these are people, human beings, that will get on the phone and talk to the bookstore owner of Jim's local bookstore and talk to them about what books they should list. And there's an actual physical catalog with barcodes. And this is how it's still done. There may be a digital version, but I'm pretty sure the paper catalog still drives book sale, uh, bookstore sales. 
And these catalogs are a big part of how the industry works, right? So uh, publishers want to you know, will have a spring catalog and a fall catalog, and you have to get your book published by such and such a date if you want to be featured in the spring catalog or you get bumped uh, to the next catalog. And the buying person, which is at an indie bookstore, is going to be the owner, typically flips through this catalog and it's got your cover and a blurb, and they make a decision on whether or not uh, to feature your book. And if they've been talked to about your book, so the salesperson comes in, hands a catalog, and it's got 500 books in it. The salesperson may talk about a few dozen of those books. And so you want to be ideally the person that the sales team is talking about. So if you're traditionally published, getting a meeting with the sales team is something that you can ask for. You may or may not get it, but it's something a lot of authors don't know to ask for. They only talk to the marketing people and the marketing people and the salespeople are totally different people. And just because the marketing people like you doesn't mean the salespeople like you. So you want to make friends with both groups uh, because if the sales team doesn't um, like you, they're not going to mention you. Or if they're not aware of you, they're not going to mention you. And then real quick, so how does Barnes & Noble do it, right? They have stores all over the country, all over the world. How do they decide? Typically, if they're going to stock an author, they're going to stock that author in their home city and maybe in some of the Barnes & Nobles around them because the assumption is the author's platform is strongest in their local area. And then if as a test, so they're not going to put you on all the stores, they're only going to put you in the local stores. And then if that test does well, they'll put you on more stores. So Barnes & Noble actually has some regionalism built in, especially with new books, uh, where they will uh, feature more local authors initially than they will just random authors. So Jim, we talked about what bookstores want and how bookstores work. Uh, Now let's talk about some tips of ways of getting featured in the bookstore. So how do we woo bookstore buyers into featuring our books on their shelves? The same way it's been done since the beginning of time. And and what I mean by that is all the technology in the world cannot match you actually, actually physically walking into a store and introducing yourself. This is who I am. I'm an author. I've written this book. Hello. How are you? And, and this is something I've done since the start of my career where I will walk into any bookstore. I am any bookstore anywhere I am. So if I'm traveling on, I'm on a trip, I will walk into local bookstores and I will introduce myself to the manager of the store, ask for the manager of the store and introduce. Or as you said, Thomas, a lot of times, if it's an indie bookstore, I'll uh, end up talking to the owner. And what I typically do is I'll go into a store and first I will look to see if my books are on the shelves. And if they are, then it's very simple to say, hey, I just wanted to introduce myself. I wanted to thank you so much for carrying my novels. If my books aren't on the shelf, I still go up and I start a conversation. And one of the key things to remember about this is they will do you favors once they get to know you. So to go in and say, why are my books not on the shelves? That's that's not the approach. The first approach is, gosh, I'm an author. I love bookstores, which most of us authors do. I love books. I just like to get to know you. And again, I'll go back to my local bookstore here, Riverwalk Books, where I went in and I just wanted to meet the owner. And we just had a conversation. And I said, um, you know, who I was, this kind of thing. And probably not surprisingly, Libby immediately went to her catalog on the computer and looked me up and she kind of looks at me and she goes, Oh, you're a legitimate author to, because in her mind, a legitimate author means traditionally published author. Um, I don't agree with that, but I understand 
why she's coming from that perspective. But again, even then, I didn't say you should carry my books. I just said, hey, great to meet you. And then over the course of time, I got to know her. And then finally she goes, I need to carry some of your books in my store. And so she ordered books in. So I guess that's what I want people to know is it doesn't all have to come from your publisher. You can be a salesperson. And she ended up ordering my books and bringing them into the store. You can definitely have an influence on that. And spending time getting to know bookstore owners is going to be a better use of your time than spending that same time posting photos of yourself to Facebook or Instagram. And like this is sure it takes time to do this and you may have to spend some time in the car as well. Uh, But this is what can really make a difference in terms of your book sales, because especially if it's an indie bookstore, it's not just a matter of them having you on the shelf. It's also a matter of them recommending you right as as they familiarize themselves with you and familiarize themselves with your reading. They're helping to hand sell your book, which can make a huge difference. You know, when somebody walks into a book, people, they are asking the staff, hey, what what are you reading? What what do you recommend? And you want to be the book that they recommend. And having had met you increases your chances of that. It does, because this whole mystique of local author, the, the guy who wrote this book actually lives in the area. People love that. They, they resonate with that deeply. So take the time to do that. And, and probably some of you are saying, I don't have time to drive around to you know a 50-mile radius. I'm not saying make a special trip. But usually most of us have patterns where, for example, uh, I used to live in the Seattle area. I don't anymore. It's three and a half hours away. But I go over there periodically. So I'm just, it's just an extra five minute trip to drop in on the local Barnes and Noble in Woodenville or wherever I am. So I'm not saying make a special trip. Over the course of a year, you can drop in, I don't know, two, three, maybe four times. And that's probably enough to go up and introduce yourself anyway. But that action, like Thomas just said, that action of, oh, we really like Jim. We're going to recommend his books can have a huge impact on sales. All right. Uh, The second thing is to realize that you're just another author. So when you walk into a bookstore, don't expect to be treated like your royalty um, unless you've sold, you know, 10,000 copies of your book in that bookstore, right? If you've already, if you're JK Rowling, you've already made that bookstore owner very wealthy, then maybe they're going to treat you like royalty. But in general, uh, don't expect them to treat you amazingly. You need to be the one who is the servant, not the master in this relationship. You want to be a blessing to uh, the bookstore owner. And I guess this is an attitude uh, thing. Jim, what kind of advice do you have on like what attitude to have when interacting with the bookstore uh, buyer or the bookstore staff? Well, um, I remember when I was first, (laughs) when I was first published, um, I thought, well, I'm, I'm an actual traditional published author. So these bookstore owners are just going to go, wow, you're James L. Rubart. (laughs) It doesn't work that way, right? They have worked with many, not, I'm not, not going to necessarily say thousands, but definitely hundreds of published authors, many of which have done way more than I have. And so you go in with the attitude of how can I help you? You might not even want to talk to me, but I have some ideas on how I can make your bookstore succeed. If you go in with that attitude, they're going to receive you a lot differently. So it, it's, it's being humble. It's, it's looking for opportunities to serve, not be served. And what tools uh, do you recommend people use to kind of help bookstores? So we've talked about the attitude. We've talked about it's important to you know, interact with people. But are there any like physical tools that people can use uh, to increase book sales? 
Yeah, make it easy. Um, if they like you, they need a tool to tell people about you. So something as simple as bookmarks and, and most traditional publishers or a lot will provide you with bookmarks, especially if you go to them and say, OK, I've got a plan. Here's the plan for the bookmarks. This is what I'm going to do with them. This is going to have this is how I'm going to distribute them. Publishers are willing to spend money if they can see why if they can see there's potential for return on investment. So bookstore bookmarks, even though they've been used forever, they are still an effective way to uh, get the word out about your books, especially if the bookstore is the is the one passing them out. And buyers still want a free bookmark when they check out, right? And like bookmarks are perishable. They tend to disappear into the book that they were uh, used for. People don't often reuse bookmarks. At least I don't. I tend to constantly be needing new bookmarks. And, you know, that's, a, a again, relationship with the community. What's a way of increasing a bookstore's relationship with their community? Free bookmarks, right? A gift. Thank you for shopping here. Here's a bookmark from a local author. Uh, suddenly that community relationship has just been improved in one uh, small way. Now, uh, Jim, you can start before you're published, right? This isn't one of those things you have to wait until you have a book out yet. How do you start building that relationship with a bookstore owner before your book comes out? You tell them your dream. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big one on tell your dream to everybody all the time. And that includes bookstores. And it, this happened to me when lot, this must've been 2008, maybe 2007, 2008. And Darcy and I were down in, uh, Oregon on the Oregon coast. And there's a number of little bookstores there. And I walked into the bookstore and just started talking to the owner. And And it came up that I was an aspiring novelist and I was writing a book and hoping to get published. And she looked at me and she said, well, good for you. I hope you, I, I hope you pursue that dream. And I hope someday we carry your book. And I don't know if she was just being polite or if she really believed it could happen for me. Doesn't matter. But I came back to that bookstore must have been three years later, and walked in, and my book was the rooms. It was my first novel. Was the num their number one seller, <laughs> and and I walked up and I just said, "Oh my gosh, um, thank you so much. That's me." And I pointed to the book, and and she was just over the moon excited for me. And then she said, "You got to stay here. You got to stay here. You got to stay here." And she called one of her employees and said. She is your biggest fan in the world. You've got to wait till she comes and gets to meet you. And so suddenly this, you know, this dream came full circle. But do you think now that when other people came into the store, she's pushing this book harder than ever? Absolutely. Yes. Because I started talking to her years before the book was even published. And another really easy way uh, to build your relationship with your local bookstore Shop at your local bookstore. So uh, there's a good chance you buy most of your books on Amazon, which is convenient for you, but it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't build any relationship with Amazon. Amazon doesn't care. If you shifted your buying to your local bookstore and you started building a relationship with them and they're seeing you on a regular basis, because there's a good chance you read a lot of books. Uh, you know, most authors, especially successful authors, are read a lot of books. And if you don't read a lot of books, let's just stop right there and say, hey, we need we need to talk. <laughs> you know, if you want to be a successful author, you have to be a reader as well. You have to uh, be well versed in the art of writing. And a big part of that is reading other people's books. And so if you're constantly going in and you're getting to know the staff, it's a lot easier for them to say yes to you. Right. Because you're a patron of their bookstore and this doesn't cost you any more money or maybe, it, you know, 10 percent more per book because you're buying it from the local store instead of from Amazon. But it could go a long way and it helps familiarize yourself with you know, the local bookstores in your area. 
Um, another thing, and this is a uh, technique specifically for Barnes and Noble, uh, but since they feature the local book, uh, or uh, they feature you in your local bookstores first, uh, throw a launch party at your local Barnes and Noble. In fact, this is what uh, chances are your marketing team is going to ask you to do <laughs> if you're traditionally published. I, I've been in a lot of these meetings with the marketing team where they lay out the marketing plan, and especially for lower budget launches, there's a lot of um, weight put on this book launch party. They're hoping that you're going to get 50 plus friends to that bookstore to order 50 plus copies. Cause here's what happens when Barnes and Noble sees that 50 copies of a book sold, that does something to their system, their algorithm. And it's only good things for you, right? You want their algorithm to be like, Ooh, this book is hot. We need to put it in more stores and see if it can't sell more copies. And one way to kind of get that momentum, get that initiative is to host a launch party. And it doesn't ha just have to be at your local bookstore. So maybe your parents are big fans of you and your writing and they live in a different town. Well, maybe you can get them to throw you a launch party and they get, invite their friends out to the their local Barnes & Noble. And the more of these that you do, the more sales you're driving. And Barnes & Noble sales count for BookScan. They count for Barnes & Noble's computer. And it really does help uh, the sales team, you know, potentially, or you, if you are your own sales team, get that book stocked in more and more uh, bookstores. And then some bookstores will have a shelf of independent books. And you just ask, right? It's, sometimes it's really easy. It depends on the bookstore, but you want to bring the party. And I, and I, I want to underline here, this is not a book signing. Yes, you are signing books here, but it's not a book signing because book signings are boring. This is a book launch party. You're going to have cake. You're going to spend $20. You're going to go to the grocery store. And you're going to get some cake, you know, assuming that that's cool with the bookstore. And you're going to hand out pieces of cake. This is the cheapest dessert in the world. <laughs> sheet cake is really cheap <laughs> and people love sheet cake. I love sheet cake. You know, no candles, right? That that will probably be a bridge too far. Uh, but this is not very expensive. It can be very effective and it's fun. Maybe you'll do a reading from your book. Maybe you'll do a Q&A. Um, you know, if you already have fans and they've, they've read your previous books, you can do a Q&A. Uh, I know authors who will, some, you know, they'll throw parties. These are often podcasters and they'll, you know, sell out, right? There, there's a limited number of seats and they'll totally sell out the whole event sometimes in just a matter of hours. It can be very effective. Um, but not if they call it a book signing. You have to be J.K. Rowling for a book signing to work. Uh, book signings generally are not the strategy I recommend. I recommend parties, book parties at bookstores. And some of you right now are saying, well, if I sell 50, bu 50 books, which would be a lot at this party, based on my royalty rate, maybe I'm making 40 or $45 plus the expenses plus my time. Wow, is that really a return on investment? Thomas has already said this, but I want to emphasize this. Selling books locally has massive influence nationally, as Thomas just said. But what happens is, and I guess this is a, a point which is a little bit of a digression, but you have to understand the best place for you to build momentum and to start your book sales is locally. Those things that you do locally start to expand out. The, the most famous story of this is the Kingsmen with their song, Louie Louie which is you know, probably one of the most famous songs in the history of rock and roll, their version of it. And that actually started in Portland, Oregon. And it was a local hit. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and the first label they had it recorded on, was it, it was bought out by a bigger label, and it just continued to grow. So if you look at your numbers on Amazon, you can see that most of your sales for most authors are going to come locally, which 
tells us it <clears throat> makes sense to focus a lot of your marketing effort locally. It does exponentially or it can exponentially grow. And if your book is good, and what I mean by this is if it drives word of mouth, if the people who read your book want to buy copies for their friends and family, this big local push is what gets that word of mouth stone rolling off the side of the mountain. And we've talked a lot about word of mouth marketing on this podcast. If you look, we have um, previous episodes where we've talked about this. It's not a strategy. Right. You, word of mouth is what people say when they don't know what, how their book is going to sell. But one of the ways of helping encourage word of mouth is exactly what Jim is talking about. Now, we have one advanced tip here, and this is only for authors who are really serious. <laughs> but this is to fish where the fish are. Uh, bookstore owners go to conferences and events to meet authors. And if you go to those events, it's an opportunity for you to personally meet a lot of bookstore owners all at once. Also librarians. So th which is this isn't really the library talk, but there are sometimes librarians go to these events. Sometimes they have their own separate events. Uh, but this is sometimes one flight to one of these bookstore owner conferences can be worth a lot of driving around to, to bookstores in your area. Uh, Jim, have you ever gone to any of these conferences that are specifically targeted at uh, industry folks? So I have had that opportunity, Thomas. I, this past January, I was at the American Library Association meeting, biannual meeting in Seattle. And so all these librarians are coming in and booths are set up. And I, so I had a chance to meet all these librarians. They came to me instead of me going to them. And we had a chance to chat and say hello and share a story or two. And that was a wonderful opportunity to have some one-on-one, -on -one, some quick one-on-one -on -one time with librarians. And libraries, as we've said before, are wonderful because they don't return books, right? And a lot of authors are down on libraries because they say, well, you know, Jim, I, I hate it when somebody emails me and says, hey, I just checked out your book from the library. That's not a sale. Well, it actually is a sale because statistics show that if somebody checks out a book from a library and they haven't read that author before and they read it and they like the book, 50% of them will actually go out and buy the next book rather than check it out from the library. So it's a really great uh, discovery tool. We're going to talk a lot about a lot more about um, when to make money and when to give away your stuff for free on a future episodes because there's a lot of strategy here. But uh, libraries have existed for hundreds of years. The first public library, uh, I believe, was created by Benjamin Franklin. Actually, so there've been private libraries for thousands of years, the famous Library of Alexandria. But a public library is somewhat new and uniquely American although they now have them in other countries, uh, of course. But uh, this is the kind of strategy where you'll, you'll want to do some research yourself on where the bookstores that stock your kind of book, where those bookstore owners go. And uh, you know who uh, can tell you this? An actual bookstore owner that you're going to talk to face-to-face, -face, like we talked about in tip number one, use a personal touch. So just ask them what conferences they're going to and see about getting into that conference yourself. Our final tip, Thomas, real quick, before you give that tip, I just looked it up. You are absolutely right. Thomas uh, or uh, Benjamin Franklin invented the library company. So you nailed it. All right. So I've been fact-checked live on the air. <laughs> and uh, Benjamin Franklin invented the... You were suspicious. I, I can tell. You you thought I was <laughs> making that sure. up. And, and I will say, anytime somebody says a quote is Benjamin Franklin, he's one of the go-to if you don't remember who said a quote to attribute. So he falsely right. gets credit for a lot of quotes. Uh, in fact, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who said, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> tip number seven, 
Our final tip uh, is to look for non-standard bookstores. So often when people are thinking about bookstores, they're thinking of stores that say bookstore in the name. But you would be surprised at the number of stores that sell books as one of many products. And a famous example of this is uh, there was a Dale Earnhardt book about the racer, the guy who raced cars. And they sold his book, I believe, if I'm remembering the story correctly, at AutoZone's which is not a store you'd normally think of as selling books. But they sold a zillion of his books through AutoZone because the kind of people who shop at AutoZone are the kind of people who are interested in NASCAR racing and are curious about the story of this famous NASCAR driver. Uh, when I was at I was at a store that sold Texas tchotchke stuff with my wife. We were at a mall. This wasn't at a tourist trap because in Texas, Texas is so popular that Every mall has a Texas store because we love buying Texas branded things. So we're in this mall actually had like three or four of these Texas stores in the one mall. It's very popular. I realize if you're not from Texas, this may sound strange, but we were in this store and they had a small book section of Texas themed books. And one of them was a book I'd never heard of before of cowboy wisdom. And it had these cowboy proverbs and it had sold half a million copies. Wow. And it, almost surely sold almost exclusively through these kinds of Texas-themed stores. They weren't selling at Barnes & Noble. They weren't selling at Amazon. Maybe they're getting some sales there, you know, from people who bought it at a Texas store and then went to buy more copies to give as gifts. But the author of this book, by thinking outside of the box, was selling lots and lots of copies of this book right next to the shot glasses with the Texas, you know, state shape on it, right next to the, you know, napkins with the texas flag on it right like this was a product sold like that to those kinds of people but it was very popular and these kinds of specialty stores may be very interested in stocking your book if you just show up there and explain to them why your book would be a good fit for their audience so you ask the question you know go to the mall and put your head in the space of where does my target reader my specific reader the one person that i'm writing for what stores do they go shop in? And then see if you can make a case to those store owners for why your book should be on the shelf. And sometimes this is, you know, your book takes place in small town Mississippi. And so you go to the stores in small town Mississippi like, oh, my gosh, we're so happy to have a book take place here. We would love to stock your book, right? And maybe they're not even a tourist book or maybe it's the visitor center, right? And you're featured in the visitor center next to the history books. Think outside of the bookstore box. Maybe you're writing fantasy or science fiction and you go to a local, you know, uh, comic book store or a local board game store and they may be interested in stocking your book. You just need to ask. This is the sort of thing where it's very book dependent on where your book could work. But Jim, you've had success with this. What, what kind of stores have you gotten your book into? Well, you know, what actually comes to mind, Thomas, I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to forget this thought before I comment on that. And that is, uh, my wife and I, Darcy and I, were in Montana. We went to Glacier National Park a few years ago. And there was a store, right, right at the entrance to the park. And they had all this Glacier National uh, Park things. They were selling posters and coffee mugs and everything you can imagine, walking sticks. And as I'm thinking back, there were three or four novels that were set in Glacier National Park, or at least that was part of the setting. They were selling in, in the bookstore. And, and I guess the important point is there were three or four novels, not 15 or 20 or 30 novels to choose from. And people are in that mindset. They're in the park. They see a book that's about 
uh, or at least part of the setting is in Glacier National Park. And they're going to pick up that thing. So you're exactly right. It's thinking outside the box. And read it because they're on vacation, right? Like this is a, a very target rich environment. Yeah. And this is something that you don't have to be traditionally published to do this one. Uh, you could be indie published and go, hey, by the way, my book is set. It's a, this adventure story set in Glacier National Park. Would you consider carrying this? So, yeah, a lot of opportunity for that. Yeah, the way that traditional stores buy products is different than the way bookstores buy products, and they're not nearly as biased against indie authors. Uh, because they don't have relationships with the traditional publishing companies, they may not know who Ingram is. The way they buy the books is different. They don't return the books. They tend to buy them instead of getting them on consignment. And uh, it's it's a huge opportunity that is often overlooked by authors who just assume that Amazon is the only option for their book. And it may be, right, your genre doesn't fit well uh, for any specialty stores, but I would I would bet you, you may be surprised. All right, uh, Jim, who's our feature, featured patron today? Our featured patron is Peter DeHaan, and his book is 95 Tweets Celebrating Martin Luther in the 21st Century. And I had a chance to work with Peter a little bit on on the cover of this book and the back cover copy and that kind of thing. So I got to know the book. It is a really cool concept for a book. Basically, what if Martin Luther lived today? And instead of writing on a piece of paper and nailing it to the Wittenberg door, he tweeted his 95 um, concerns. So Peter's done a really creative job of doing that. Um, so you you can go to Amazon and pick up the book or take a look at it. And we will also have a link in the show notes. And Peter, thank you so much for being a patron. Our sponsor today is my course on the tax and business guide for authors. So if you're wondering if you need to set up an LLC for your writing business, when to do that, when not to do that, how to do it, we go into this and many other business uh, questions and topics to help you with the whole business side of it. And it also includes a whole section with my dad, who's a CPA, who's been working with authors for 35 years. He works with a lot of top authors. He's a very sought after CPA um, by author. So he really knows publishing really well. And we talk with him about uh, tax advantages that authors can take advantage of, you know, how to avoid audits, uh, good strategies, mistakes to avoid. It's got a lot of really solid tax advice. And the whole course costs less than one hour of my dad's consulting. So if you wanted to talk to my dad, you can hire him. He's a CPA. He works with authors. Or you can buy this course and get several hours of his advice and my advice on publishing for less than that. But if you are a patron, you save 50%. So it's a significant discount for patrons of the Novel Marketing Podcast. And you can uh, find that out, authortaxtips.com. And you may be wondering, oh, but this isn't tax season. You know, why would I want to do this? And it's like, well, the time to start making good tax decisions is not when you're filling out your tax return. At that point, it is too late. <laughs> so if you want to do tax advantage things, you know, be kind to your future self filling out your future tax return. Take the tax and business guide for authors. We're so confident you're going to love it. There's a 30-day guarantee, authortaxtips.com. So, Jim, uh, I hear that you've been doing a little bit of uh, underwater diving recently. Is this true? <laughs> yeah, I actually have. My my dock blew away two years ago, and so my brother and I, my brother in law and I, put in a new dock. And to anchor the chains and all that kind of stuff, uh, one of us had to do the scuba thing. And since I'm certified, I was the one that dove down. And and Thomas, this is funny because I haven't dove in five years. And I realized, God, I really miss it. I just, there's something fun for me about being underwater. 
And I imagine the murky water underneath the dock is not exactly what you went into scuba diving for. <laughs> not a lot of coral reef down there. <laughs> no, it, 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 yeah, it didn't make me go, I want to dive in the lake more. It made me want to go back to some of the uh, tropical places I've dove that are really good. Well, speaking of the tropics, I recently spoke at the Southern California Christian Writers Conference, which I was expecting to be more tropical. Uh, L.A. is actually surprisingly temperate weather, which I guess the whole world knew. And I just assumed it's like, <laughs> oh, it's a desert. It must be hot. Uh, but no, it was, it was very cool uh, and very sunny. I, and I, I went to a dollar store and bought uh, dollar store glasses that I, I wore on my head the whole conference because I thought that that would be nice. a cool California <laughs> thing to have sun, sunglasses on my head. But I got to meet a lot of uh, really cool uh, listeners of the show. We had a lot of listeners who were there at the conference. So hi to everyone I got a chance to meet. I did a talk on podcasting and got some uh, feedback from our listeners. And one of the things they said is that uh, while they don't necessarily miss the intro guy uh, doing intros without music, they miss the music. And, and one person said, I don't like the music and I miss the music. And so um, it was interesting feedback. <laughs> so we, I hear you. You want us to have intro music uh, for the show. So we will we'll see what we can do when it comes to, to intro music or some kind of sound effect that says the Novel Marketing Podcast is starting. Indeed. Well, um, as you know, you have been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thank you so much for listening. 